You're listening to WCOM LP 103.5 FM Carborough and Chapel Hill. It's a Tuesday, it's five o'clock, and that only means one thing. It's time for another round of Snarky Faith with your host, Stuart Deloney. This is a space where we irreverently wrestle through life, culture, and spirituality, all with our heads in the clouds, our tongues in our cheeks, our hearts in our sleeves, and our feet on the ground. At Snarky Face, the questions or even the answers are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host, Stuart Deloney. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another round of Snarky Bay of the Radio. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney. So welcome and thank you for joining us here for another week at Snarky Faith Radio. If you are new to the show, you can check out this show and past shows over at www.snarkyfaith.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter and pretty much anywhere that they push out podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, all those places. But, 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 uh, I begin our show... I begin our show talking about <laughs> the fact you've heard me do this before. I had the show planned to be about topic A. And in the midst of compiling all of this, I kind of ditched what I was going to be going after. I could tell you about that show, but then you'd be listening to this show saying, ooh, the other show sounded a little bit more interesting than this show. Um, I'm kidding. Maybe not. But let me tell you a story. We're going to kind of hit, hit a little bit of story hour um, for this hour. And, and we do these every once in a while where, well, yeah, I, I think it's just fair. We're, we're going to call it story time today. And, and I'll begin my story with this. I'll say this. It all started with an internet troll. And, and, and I bring this up because I, I want to have an opportunity to really kind of talk about the state of things and where we find ourselves at in the world and where we find ourselves at at this moment in history. And you are listening to a show called Snarky Faith, so we will be talking about aspects of faith, shocker, here on the show. But um, it all started with a troll, at least my, my frame of mind where I'm thinking through right now. So I posted something on, on, on social media, and someone I kind of know decided to do trolly things, which what trolls like to do, and start to try to create an argument with me speaking down to me about something that wasn't even the topic of what I was posting. Um, the kind of old bait-and-switch method of doing this. And as I do, I, I only give... I only typically give trolls so much so much line to go with. Um, but, but if he was really, as I oftentimes, for better or worse, give people the benefit of the doubt, uh, engaged in a conversation, which many of you may be screaming right now, that was the first mistake I made, and you may very well be true. But... But really what happened in the midst of what I was trying to have as a discourse or a dialogue, once I begin to get frustrated, I get more and more snarky, as the show would tell you. Um, so I've learned when I start feeling the snark really coming out, I need to stop. And I can use my snarkiness just to just be a snide little ass and exit the conversation because so much of social media right now, I feel like, are pointless, fruitless conversations. Um, and no, the show is not going to be about uh, social media, but it is really going to be about what happened when I really started trying to reflect on the merits of the conversation that I was having, um, if you could call it that. And, and the question that arose in me from, from that conversation, because it was, it was obviously uh, two people from very different vantage points, 
um, two people from very different perspectives, uh, two people from very different uh, value systems, um, trying to have a conversation about things that we were actually having two different conversations. Um, and I kept trying to point that point out, but it really wasn't being heard. Uh, the gentleman in particular wanted to keep having his own argument, which he was comfortable with doing, but it, the problem was it wasn't my argument. And, and I started trying to do like a little bit of a check on, on myself, like a mental health check as I was going through this and starting to say, so what, what, what good? You, you may have gotten your blood boiled while you were hanging out on a Sunday afternoon uh, and felt self-righteous about getting in a couple of sarcastic little jibes here and there. But at the end of it, I, I, I was left with saying like, okay, I, I, I did all this and it's kind of like eating McDonald's food. Like it, you, you kind of feel good as, as, as it's happening, but in like the long run, you end up feeling like crap. And, and I came up with this question that, that, that's kind of been rattling around in my head all day. And the question is like, what are we and, and really what are we doing right now? Now I'm not talking about this in a complete like, uh, zoom out macro viewpoint of the world and life right now. I'm not, I'm not talking about like, what are we as humans? What does it mean to be alive? That's, that's a whole different question here. But, um, connecting this to social media, I've at the same time, I'm going to, this is a little bit of a stream of consciousness today, but I think you're going to be able to figure out where I'm going with some of this. And, and my hope is ultimately that it'll be something that is healthy for, for me and hopefully healthy for you as we process through this, because I don't have a lot of answers to what I'm talking about here today, but I do have a lot of questions. And, uh, yeah, if you've heard anything, uh, especially from the intro for our show is that questions are more important than answers. And it's about the conversation and about wrestling through stuff. And so I have another person tangent story here, but it's, it fits in with what we're talking about, or at least with my mindset. I have, I have a new friend on social media that I have been kind of enjoying watching him deconstruct everything in his life. Um, mad props to this individual, which again, I'm not trying to, to be salacious and point out either of these people that I'm talking about, whether it be the troll or whether it be the deconstructionist. But the one thing that I found incredibly refreshing by watching this person, this, uh, who was a uh, former pastor and kind of went through like a crisis of belief and has been just honestly, openly deconstructing faith and trying to figure it out in the most public way possible on, on social media. And as you would expect, there's those that are actually attracted to his honesty um, and what he is wrestling through. There are those that are attacking him, um, telling him that he's wrong and that he's going to hell and all of his other stuff. And, and he does it in fairly incendiary kind of ways. Uh, but for me, I'm a person that, that has always that has always been attracted to kind of just that raw truthiness of stuff, the raw truth of, of what's going on. I, I, pre, I would rather someone be really honest um, than really eloquent in a situation, for good or bad, because either way, you really know where they stand. And if, if a person is in a position where they are really trying to, to wrestle through something in an honest manner that, where they are, in a certain sense, kind of pulling off their masks, pulling off all of that, uh, that carefulness that we kind of uh, walk with uh, when we're in, out in public, um, meaning that we always want to make sure we're putting on a good public face. We don't want to give too much information. We don't want to appear to be too vulnerable or too honest because we don't know what people are going to do with us. And so this gentleman, for me, I, I think is doing something that is incredibly brave, um, incredibly messy, 
and incredibly fascinating. And so, and we may have said gentlemen on the show at some point in the future because um, I, I'm really enjoying watching the mess that he's making. But it ends up being this beautiful mess that I'm seeing here. And, and that really began to make me um, think about when I was early in my ministry career. And many of you uh, heard me saying just a couple seconds ago, and you may have laughed in your head, that I, I like to, um, I, I appreciate raw honesty from people. I, I appreciate people that live in their own truth. And I'm not talking about biblical truth. I'm just talking about just being on, on, as honest and as self-aware as people can be. I always appreciate those folks because, you know, there's no pretense about them. And which is odd, you may say it was funny that I actually went into working in the ministry for uh, a number of years of my life, which seems to be a place where people don't pursue honesty, where people don't pursue that kind of raw um, truthfulness about themselves. No, no, it seems in many ways that any kind of professional ministry <laughs> surrounding the church or faith is, is really teaches people how to fake it more than anything. Uh, if you want to survive, don't be honest, know what to say, and know how to fake it. Now, I bring that back to the place where when I was early on, my first job that I had um, in ministry, uh, when I really just kind of stepped out of working in the secular world and stepping into a ministry world was with, was with a church plant. And as anyone that works with a church plant, you end up being a person that wears many hats. Um, and, and I remember when we were doing a bunch of branding work and I was doing a bunch of video work trying to figure out who we were, why we were different. And again, to give you context, this is probably back early 2000s. And uh, we were planting in, in the South. So I'm, I'm speaking in a context of like uh, Northern Atlanta, Georgia type of a situation. And uh, we were trying to be a church that was different than what we and the people that were kind of part of the launching team had been, had grown up with. Uh, we wanted something, and we we started using all these crazy buzzwords, and and I made this video uh, as kind of a promo video to be able to show. Pastor loved it, and we showed it to kind of a launch team. They all loved it, and and it's one of those things that I wish I never did, because the video and the branding that I did at that point was, I think, one of the problems of why the the church plant didn't really survive much beyond two or three years, and in the video it was always detailing what we're not. So I, it was kind of trying to contrast what people assume church is, what people assume all this is, and it was saying, like, we're none of those things. And, and the dangers that I stepped into within all of that was we became a church that was defined of, by what we're not. Like, we're not this. We're not this. We're not this. And, and, and the problem within that is if, if you spend a lot of time defining what you're not, you don't spend enough time defining what you are. And when you spend a lot of time defining what you're not, it's easy to attract people because they will say, oh, I don't want to be that either. I don't want to be that either. But then the problem comes into the fact when you begin to define what you are, they were more connected to what you weren't than to actually what you were. And, and that, that, that idea has kind of stuck with me, that, that oftentimes, especially in culture, it is easy to point at the things that we don't like and say, I'm not that, or at least I'm not that. And, and we do that in many ways because it makes ourselves feel good. Someone, someone has apparently either said some, something stupid or done something outrageous, 
or made some sort of, that um, they may have misspoken in public. Um, and, and we see that and we say, first of all, I think in ourselves, like, gosh, I'm glad I wasn't the one putting my foot in my mouth. Um, but at the same time, we want to distance ourselves and say, I'm not that. And I feel like so much of culture, it comes with saying, I'm not that. And even, even on this show over the years, I feel like that, that in many ways, we end up having reactionary conversations. And, and one thing that I've noted, even in myself, and that's why uh, the gentleman that has been deconstructing his faith online that I'm enjoying, is that I have always been somewhat of a deconstructionist <laughs> from when I was a kid in church. I was always critiquing. I was always figuring out why it didn't make sense to me. So it was like, I, it was church was always a puzzle that, that I needed to make sense of. Like I, I, for some reason, God wasn't a hard concept to come by, but how does church fit into this whole paradigm of it? That was a hard concept for me to do. And so I spent uh, 20 years roughly in working in ministry going through seminary and all of that stuff of being someone that I think I was still doing in many ways, deconstructing and, and being all a part of what, what I'm not. And, and for me, I think it's this, this reminder of being able to watch deconstruction happening in, kind of in real time. It's that if you deconstruct, it's, it's the, the job is not just demolition. The idea of deconstructing is that you pull the things down, you see what we have, and you say, this is necessary, this is not. And then you go about rebuilding, um, adding what was historically still good, um, what you had believed before, and, and discarding the things that don't matter. Discarding the things that, that you've maybe collected along the way that, that are unnecessary. And, and that, that should, in, in those ways, be the goal of, of deconstruction. Because if our only goal is just to tear something down, we're really just in the process of demolition, and then we just have an, a lot. <laughs> We've just torn down the building. There's just a lot of old bricks and old building materials there, and it just looks like a mess. Now, I bring that up because, because I do. I, I, I've, been, I've been sensing this kind of in myself, um, especially like the troll is kind of helping me to see that too over the weekend, that, that in many ways I feel like if there is any, uh, if we can call it the progressive arm of Christianity, is that the Christianity, progressive or conservative, has, has become a very reactionary sport. And it's all about defending, 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 defending. And it's not usually about kind of going on offense. And, and I don't want to do that anymore. And I don't know if anybody else out there is kind of with me on that. I'm kind of tired of just responding to other people's BS. Now, don't worry, we're not gonna get rid of things like the Christian crazy, because they're just too good, they're just too much fun well, when we pick apart and pull apart just and deconstruct uh, the insanity of Christianity on, on a weekly basis. You're not getting of that this week, so womp womp, I'm sorry, I'll shed a tear for you. But what I wanted to really be delving into is, is the same question I came up at the very beginning, of what are we? What are we doing? And, and, to me, it just feels like that we need a whole new game. Now, snarky faith is, I don't know, we're in the midst of, I want to say, somewhere around 
220-ish, give or take, some uh, shows. Been around for a few years now. And uh, for anyone that has been listening to this for any period of time knows that that a lot of this whole show came about because of my dissatisfaction within American Christianity and the fact that it had gotten into bed with politics, which is not, not nothing new, but that when we even look at we even look at what what Trump has become and the hellscape <laughs> that we're living in under Trump, um, that 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 kind of fueled that that anger that we're that things are wrong, that the church is is off, um, that the church has a problem here in America. And and the more I've thought about this, and we've mentioned it a few times here um, in different discussions I've had uh, over the while. One one of the biggest mistakes that we make. Um, is that we pay too much attention to Trump. And, and I say this, I say this in a manner of, uh, of the obvious one, paying attention to him continues to feed him because he is kind of the king of all trolls right now in life. So again, don't feed the trolls. Giving more and more attention only feeds the trolls. But then at the same time, I, I mention, and I'd mentioned this to somebody else that was trying to rebuke what I was in, in this, in conversation that was going on online um, because they were trying to say, oh, I'm just anti-Trump. And, 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 and the funny thing was, is I told them I'm actually not anti-Trump. I mean, I'm ant- I mean, Trump for me and what he symbolizes is actually not even really his fault. Uh, what aggravates me more about Trump is, is watching the American church finally get what it's wanted and him being the big fat orange idol of all of their wet dreams of, of what conservative Christianity has been striving for, for all of these years, since, since basically like the fifties, they wanted up up someone in office that would speak to that for them, that would oppress people for them, that would judge people in the same way they did, that would have all those dank and dark and horrible things that they thought in their head, but never wanted to say out loud. He's their mouthpiece right now. He allows them to be racist. He allows them to be misogynistic. He allows them um, to be hateful and bigoted. But again, he's only a symbol of the problem that exists. And one of the reasons I rage against this is because of the symbol that it has become. I feel like that in many ways, uh, the the window for hope for the American church for the longest time has, I felt like has been has been closing for its relevancy. And there have been opportunities and times for for it to reinvigorate itself and for it to not be only about money and, and it pleasing its own self um, and politics and all these other disgusting things that have nothing to do with Jesus, right? And finally, Trump kind of gave them that last push. That last push, they finally got it, and now they feel like they have a man of God. This, this is all about God. That's in the office. Now, again, it's easy to sit and point at Trump and say he's a horrible person, because why? It's low-hanging fruit. It's absolutely low-hanging fruit. He is a horrible person. It's easy to see that. I mean, he opens his mouth on regular races. He's just a disgusting human being. So um, for us to constantly be sitting around talking about how horrible Trump is would kind of just be, oh, the sun is bright. Talk about that every week here. You know, water is wet. Rocks are hard. It's, it's obvious. And it's also in a certain sense obvious for us to, to continue just to, to poke fun at, at the at the church and why it has gone awry. Why? Because, well, the church has become self-serving and the church is set up like a business 
and the church operates like a business. And that being so, the church really has little, if anything, to do with Jesus, which also would mean that it has a lot of things in common with Donald Trump, who has little to nothing to do with Jesus. Um, and instead of just always, and I just, I, I want to, because I, I think it, it's important to critique, but it's also important for us at the end of the day to know who we are and to not simply know who we're against. And brings me back to that question of who are we? Um, recently, recently I, I was, I was noticing this. And so it's part of the process I do to, to do our shows. I just, I compile just articles and articles and articles throughout the week um, and try to see kind of what what is the most palatable or what is the best story that we can have to talk about here on the show. And one thing that I saw two different, I saw two different articles. One of them was from uh, the PBS NewsHour. Article was entitled, Religious Liberals Want, uh, They Want to Change What It Means to Be a Christian Voter. And Democrats, this is from NPR, Democrats have the religious left. Can they win the religious middle? And and I, on one level, I was like, oh, it's really interesting. I, I like the idea of, of trying to figure out what does it mean to be the Christian left. We've had shows talking about this. But then I began to, to realize the inherent nature that there hasn't been a huge movement, especially voter block-wise, of uh, religious liberals or the Christian left. It means inherently they're going to be defined by not being the religious right. You still have religion, you still have Jesus, but you're not like these a-holes over here. Again, defining yourself by what you're not. And the problem with Christianity has been that it has defined itself by identity politics, it's defined itself by denominations, it's defined itself by uh, how big is the church in the community, and all these other things. But they're not really defining themselves by Jesus. And if the church ceases to define itself by, by the way, the ways and the teachings and the mold and the model of Jesus, then I don't really know what it is anymore. Then it really just is a business model uh, for some more successful than others. And when I come back to this, you know, I, 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 we talk a lot about social justice and advocacy and what we can do to make our communities better here. But I don't want the title, the religious or the Christian left to be part of this identity politics because then I'm this, then I'm this. I'm this because I vote this way. I'm this because of this. I'm this because of this. And again, we're still missing the point of, no, no, no. I am who I am and I do what I do because I follow after the ways and the teachings of Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean I'm the religious left. It doesn't mean I'm this. It doesn't mean, no, no. It just means I'm, I'm a person. And it means I follow after a certain set of ethics and teachings for how I, I seek to go out and impact the world around me. Now, I know some of this may seem really obvious, kind of what I'm trying to deconstruct here a little bit in this, but, but I know by our very nature as humans, we like to be part of tribes. We want to be defined by others, by the groups that we're in and what we're doing. And again, when we falter to our, our, our worst implications of a tribalistic nature, uh, what ends up happening for us is we, again, can spend a lot of time either looking for a leader or looking for a voice or looking for some, someone else for us to follow after. 
we're looking for someone else to tell us what to do and how to think. And, and I think that if we were to be, really be able to answer this question as, what are we? I don't, I don't want to be defined as, as a voting block so I can be courted by people. Does that make sense? You know, I, I want to be a person that is simply just defined by my actions, that, that I, I do what I am called to do. Meaning that, like, I return to the scripture all the time, like Micah 6, 8 in the Old Testament says, uh, He has told you, O human, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. And, and this is something that I continue to, to return to. And, and I know, I know I have many snarky inclinations, especially when we do this, <laughs> when I go through news articles. And we like poking fun of stuff here on the show. So... Yeah, yeah, I'll admit, oftentimes I'm maybe more snarky than genuine. Um, but but I say that. I say that because uh, there was an article that I just, I, I, it kind of, t it, it tickled my sarcastic nature of what was going on over the weekend of, um, after Mike Pence went and, uh, visited some of the uh, concentration camps down near the border. Um, the 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 hashtag fake Christian was trending, and I, you know I think it's funny that that happens. And and I watch all of this happen with folks like with like Mike Pence. And and on some level you're like yeah like this is me my my little way for fighting back. This is my little way for sticking it to to these people. And and all I've realized in all of this and and is that we're really just doing that to please ourselves. Like, is Mike Pence going to sit down and go on Twitter and see that fa hashtag fake Christian is, is trending because of him, because of him going down and just acting like what he's seeing isn't as bad as what it is or turning it into a political thing? He, he, no. He's not going to see it. It's not going to change his mind. And all it's going to do is it's just going to make people of the liberal persuasion happy and be like, ha, 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 look at this. He's a bad Christian. He's a bad homophobe. You know, he's a bad this, whatever. That's, that, I mean, that is Mike Pence. But again, does that really do anything? As much as I like to laugh about it, as much as I get that tickle in myself, it's, it's again, it's like eating McDonald's. It doesn't really do anything. It's, it's unhealthy. And, and it doesn't help creating any way forward from the divided place that we all find ourselves in now. I mean, it, it just seems like we're, we're in the Twitter nature, we're uh, the Twitterverse kind of world where everything is about getting a sick burn in on people, right? It, it's, it's about being able just to, to, to really just own someone online and everybody else high-fiving and liking what you're saying. But we're not really fighting. Like, to fight on social media is kind of a weak fight. Um, you're not doing it face-to-face -face with people. And we all know that... Uh, Half the crap that people say online wouldn't say it to another person's face. They wouldn't. Because it's easier and it's more anonymous. So, I said, I said earlier that I think that we need to find a new game. And, and I think that we can use other constructs that, that we see that aren't working right now to be able to move us in a direction towards figuring out the answers of what does a new game look like. And when I say having a new game here, 
I'm saying it in a place where I don't want to figure out a new way to do church. I don't want to figure out a new cutting edge way to do this out of the other. But I think it comes, you have to kind of go back to the start and begin to say, like, well, what are, why? Like, what, what, why are we here? What are we doing and what are we? And, and for folks that, that may find themselves in a place, which I know a fair amount of this audience is, we have hate listeners and then we have others that listen to it because they, uh, in certain ways, this, this ends up affirming certain uh, discomforts um, that people have within the faith. Those discomforts being that they like Jesus, but really a lot of the stuff the church does or Christians publicly do, they don't want to associate themselves with. So, you, you know, the whole, like, you know, they, uh, they like Jesus, they don't like the church kind of old uh, mantra, and it still makes sense today. So some of the questions that, that continue just to kind of pop up in my head, and, and these are questions, and, and I would like in many ways for this to be, uh, for this show to even be an open dialogue. So feel free um, to be asking questions. You can interact, questions at snarkyfaith.com. You can interact on Facebook and Twitter uh, with me about this as well, too. Uh, because I'd like to hear some of your thoughts and some of your questions that I need to add to the list, and I can even make this into some sort of a working document. But these, these, are, some, these are some of the things that, that, that I'm, I'm processing through. And I'm inviting you, come and process with me. Come and process with me. Um, is I guess what I'm kind of saying. I'm, I'm, I'm inviting you into my brain space a bit. And some of the questions I think, think that need to be answered is, is moving forward. You know, when we talk about Christian history and faith and everything of that nature, like, how do we hold the Bible? There's a lot of arguments um, within different denominations and theological viewpoints that will vary um, anywhere from the literal exact word of God to it being a, a book of just kind of moral teachings and metaphors. And, and I'm bringing up some of these questions that we're going to kind of hit a few little sacred cow issues here um, because I'm reminded of this, that, that especially during Jesus' time, much of, of, of the Jewish faith was... And, and of the rabbinic tradition was known for how people would wrestle. Um, they would wrestle with different theological ideas. They would wrestle with different questions of the time. They would wrestle in a way that at the end of the day, when the wrestling was over, they still knew that they were all family. And in the tribalistic nature that we operate within ourselves, uh, we wrestle and then we come up with a new denomination. We wrestle and we have a church split. We wrestle and then we block people on social media. You know, we wrestle and then we badmouth people. And, and that's not necessarily productive wrestling if, if the wrestling doesn't have some sort of like uh, guardrails to it. Meaning that I feel like what's needed in many ways to be able to wrestle through questions of this nature is a safe space, a space that that folks know we're not kicking you out. Doesn't mean you're a horrible person. You're open to ask questions. And let's wrestle through this together because we have an intent that we are hoping that we can all move to a better place. 
so some questions I'm, I'm wrestling through right now is like, how, how do we hold the Bible? Um, how much does, does church history and practice define us? I, I've, I've worked for different churches and different denominations, and you end up having your sacred cows in any of them. Sacred cow in a specific church could be where the organ is placed or a specific piece of furniture that such and such made or bought years ago, and it's become a holy relic of a time past. And you cannot move or get rid of that. Um, or it could be a way where we stand on how we interpret the scripture or how we engage with these issues or, or things of that, of that nature. So first of all, like, we have to begin to define like, how, how, how tightly or how loosely do we hold things? You know, how porous or how rigid are we in this? And, and even thinking through church history and church practice, I come back to this, this thought of that we need to invent new words. Um, because words like church have, have so much baggage in them. And I'm not saying getting rid of the meanings, but oftentimes the way language moves and the way language changes, it's, it's impossible to be able to express yourself or come up with an idea when you use a certain word and have everybody else not have an instant opinion based upon what that word means to them or what that word represents in areas of either pleasure or pain for them too. And so I think being able to learn to talk about faith and, and Jesus, we have to be brave enough to come up with new words because a lot of the old words that we have and I know you, this may just seem very just on the surface, but a lot of the old words we have keep people out of the conversations. Sometimes it's because we have church words and people don't know what we mean and we haven't defined them. And secondly, sometimes those words just have too much pain involved in them and people don't want to engage in that. And so when I begin to talk about like how, how we reconstruct and how we, how we run through this, I think that it's important also to ask a couple questions here. So... Uh, I'd said earlier, like, what's the point? What is, what is mission? Why? And, and I think that in many ways, I complain often that the American church looks much like a business um, or a political action group. And the reasons I say that is because whether it be the institutional church or whether it be... <laughs> Uh, the church as a political activist group or block of people, they've adopted some postures that are not very Christian or Jesus-like, meaning that things have become very Machiavellian and Christians have become okay with it. And by Machiavellian, meaning that the end justifies the mean. And I would say If the end justifies the mean, but we lose ourselves in the process, have we really gained anything? And so I return to this. I return to this, and this is like this is something I, I've kind of just been like batting around in my head. And so I apologize if some of this has just been ping ponging around. But I, I go back, and as I've been returning to scriptures, and just really just trying to not necessarily read. I'm trying to get the overview. I mentioned earlier about kind of having like the bird's eye view of things. And so I've been really just trying to read back and, and read through the Gospels and look at the nature of Jesus kind of from a bird's eye view. 
not even getting you know really caught up in in how he words things or what he's specifically saying this, but really just looking at this, like what is his impact? Like how does he approach others? How does he engage culture at large? How is he engaging political systems at large? You know, how is he being seen by those within his common culture as he's moving? And, and I think it's important for that, for us to be able to get back to the core of where we're at. And here's a couple of things that, that, that I did come up with, and I offer them to you. And these are, more, these are more things that I would tell you to begin to wrestle with. And these are also things that if you have more, I want you to send them to me, and we can talk about them. Um, I can either talk about them here, we can talk about them personally. I'm, I'm open for these conversations with people. But the one thing that I, I the, the couple of bits of Jesus that, that, that I was, or archetypes of Jesus that I was pulling out were these. Um, was there that, that there is a nonviolent Jesus. And so for that being one of the tenets, so if Jesus is nonviolent, therefore those that proclaim to follow after him should also therefore be nonviolent. Now, oftentimes when I say the words like nonviolence, uh, it's very easy for people's heads to go straight towards a conversation about pacifism. And while I agree with pacifism, and I agree and believe that Jesus was a pacifist, that's actually not what I'm going after here. I mean, I think that's an aspect, it's an attribute of it. But circling back to me talking about the trolls online, or even, or even folks that I know and are friends with online who essentially like to post, like, articles, I do this, so again, I'm speaking to myself too, that are kind of like F you to Trump articles, or like, this guy's a moron articles, or this guy's an idiot articles. And so it's something that make us feel good because it's part of just how we cathartically <laughs> survive in the world that we're in today. And there's a lot of tension going on, baby. There's a lot of people that are frustrated. And we just need a little more love, um, which is actually true. But speaking of the nonviolent Jesus, you know, I, I think that we should also have a time where we kind of ask ourselves the question. It's kind of the, like, thou shalt not post or thou shalt not comment here. Um, being able to ask ourselves the factor of, is this fruitful? Or is this comment that I'm going to either leave on social media, Facebook, Twitter, or in the comment section of stuff, is that an act of violence? Like, is, is, is me striking back at someone and being snarky or being hateful or mean at someone uh, because I want to get points in my head because I, I've owned the conservatives or the conservatives have owned the libtards or whatever, you know, we go and we, we kind of, we're in this owning culture where we, someone has to end up on top. I feel like we're constantly in different rap battles and comment sections with people. And the question I've been having to ask myself are, are my comments, are they, are they leading towards dialogue or are they actually creating violence? And all violence doesn't have to be <laughs> someone picking up a gun or someone hitting another person. It's, it's verbal violence. And, and when I look at the mode of the, the, the non, nonviolent Jesus, I, I have to begin to ask myself, so is, is what I'm posting here, is this edifying? Is this helping? Is this forwarding some sort of a mission of hope and peace and actually making the world better? Or am I just doing this to score points with my own friends and base? 
So we have number one, we have the nonviolent Jesus. And, and I think for us to say that we're followers of Jesus, we have to be able to take on that mantle. Um, the next one I would see is that the, it would be the servant Jesus. And much of Christianity gets a lot of my frustration and criticism here on the show on a regular basis. And it's because it's the church has forgotten how to serve. And I was, there was recently a church in Florida. And at first I was going to be like, hey, this isn't the Christian crazy. We, we're just going to, I'm going to mention this is actually good news. So, and this comes from Newsweek and it, it popped up all around social media, but the Florida church pays off $7.2 million in medical debt for $6,500 uh, $6, low income Floridians uh, by just telling people God loves you. Now, on some level, it, it is, it's very easy to be like, wow, this is really cool. And especially if you're, if you're one of those uh, 6,500 people, that, that certainly is awesome. And, um, and certainly, uh, that would be good news for them. So I'm not, I'm still going to be a snarky ass in the midst of the story. My bigger question at the end of this was, great, I'm glad they did that. But why did a church have $7.2 million available to be able to pay off people's debt? Yeah. Yeah. And that gets me when I go back to the fact of the church being a business. And and because what tells me is, tell me what their budget is. What is their operating budget on a regular year if they have $7.2 million to pay all people's debts. And again, it is, it is a great action of, of compassion that's happening there. But at the same time, that is such a misuse of money on a regular basis for a church. That a church is raking in money like this and they continue to exist. Again, they exist so that they can continue to exist. And things like this make the church feel good about themselves. And they do bless people. But again, going back to the servant mentality of Jesus, no, 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 no. I, I, I call BS on this. I call BS on this because I feel like just the mission is already off. And, and it, is, it is one thing to pay off people's debt. It is another thing to actively invest in people's lives. And for, for people to begin to continue to call themselves as Christians, I think, I think the goal is being able to actively invest in the lives of people that live in your community and around you. You know, and I don't mean just investing in the people that you like, just investing in the people that believe like you. Um, no, no, being able to get out of your place and get out of your bubble to be able to go and do this. Like mo most of Jesus's ministry is him walking around, walking around and preaching and talking to people, going from city to city to city in areas where people normally didn't go, talking to people that people that, uh, that the culture normally did not want to talk to, like, like the prostitutes and, and the lepers and the sick of society. And so that posture, I mean, means that we constantly have to be getting out of our safe zones and our safe spaces to be able to help those that are hurting around us. Because if the good news of the gospel isn't that I am here for you, I'm here for you always. Then it's not really good news at all. Like I, it was, it was one of my friends who's who's been on the show, uh, Justin Meyer, 
And Justin had posted this on online recently. Um, and and, it's, and it kind of stuck to me. And it was one of those things that you see and you're like, oh, that's kind of cute. But then I started trying to think a little bit deeper into this. And it was, it was someone had, 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 had posted this saying that religion uh, means I messed up, my dad is going to kill me. Now the gospel tells us I messed up and I need to call my dad. And, and I think the nucleus, the heart of good community and the way that we can help change the lives of people around us is if we are good news to other people. Are we people that get the phone call <laughs> when someone's saying, I messed up, I need to call my friend. I messed up, I, I need your help. Are we friends to others? Are we friends to others when it is inconvenient to us? I have four kids. They keep us very busy. I am sure your life is very busy too. Uh, being married, having four kids, uh, having a job and a radio show, and it keeps me incredibly busy. And I don't like things being added to my plate, but I have to constantly keep myself open and keep myself available for other people. Because otherwise, I'm not being Jesus to other people. So we have the nonviolent Jesus, we have the servant Jesus, and we have to go back to the compassionate Jesus. And in many ways, the nonviolent and servant Jesus kind of overlap in this one, but there's even more. With the compassionate Jesus, yes, are we being loving to others? Are we being loving in a real way? Like, I, I grew up enough around, like, Southern Baptist churches where people would say, like, I'm giving you the truth and love. Nobody says they love you like love, you know, in that kind of, like, <laughs> the cadence where you're like, oh, really? You're using the word love? <laughs> it doesn't feel like love. It doesn't feel like love at all because it's not love. See, again? We need to use new words. But caring for others, having compassion, uh, being able to put yourselves in other people's situations, uh, being able to, this is tough for me, being able to love conservatives where they're at, being able to try to see the world through their eyes a bit. Um, and it's difficult. It's hard. It's not easy. We live in a world, uh, especially here in America, that we've become very, very polarized. We're very fractured. And it just seems like the way that we communicate on social media or that we read our news or the way that we interact with one another just continues to make that, that chasm deeper and wider and further apart. So the idea of being compassionate, oh, I'll be compassionate to the folks that are on my side. Eh, eh, that's easy. Being compassionate uh, and showing kindness and grace and love for others. On the other side, it's not easy. It doesn't feel good. It's not sexy. And it goes also back into that, <laughs> am I being nonviolent? Am I being loving? Am I being a servant? Am I being compassionate? Because at the end of the day, if, if we win an ideological war against the others, but, <laughs> but we've destroyed any kind of good human nature in the process to get there, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it? And am I really being compassionate if I only love the people that love me? If I only love the people that are like me? That's not compassion. Compassion also has an element of servant, servanthood, which we mentioned earlier, too. And then the last one I came up with was, was being the prophetic Jesus. And, and that kind of comes around with a question that I, I, we're wrestling with here is, is, what are we? Who are we? What are we doing here? Um, what is faith moving us towards? Why, why does faith matter? Of being able to speak in a time 
uh, in a prophetic nature, and I don't mean a prophetic nature like the Jim Bakers or all the other like yahoos that we find up uh, on the Christian crazy of the week. That's that ends up just kind of being charlatan prophecy, where essentially you're you act like you're an expert, so others will follow you and give you money. That's not prophecy. That's telling people what they want, so they give you something. It's manipulation in the name of the Lord. But I'm saying like really being that nature of like who prophets were in the Bible. Prophets are people that spoke truth to power. Prophets are people that, that gave the hard truth that the culture didn't always want to hear. And no, I don't, mean, I don't mean it to where I think most Christians today will take the Bible and they feel like it gives them license to be assholes to, to others. No, I'm not talking about that. <laughs> I'm not talking about that prophetically. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about giving a vision of what things could be, giving people a taste of, of love and compassion and of nonviolence, giving people a taste of, of what it looks like to be able to lay down your weapons, whether it be verbal weapons that we use or physical weapons. What does it look like to walk in a different way? Because again and again and again, I feel like Jesus came to give us another way to live, another economy to work with, uh, a place where, where God loves everyone, where God says, I have a seat at the table and it's big enough for everybody, even you, whoever that you is. And that's a vision that changes people's lives. People knowing that they are included, that they are loved, that they have worth, that they matter. And, and I think that if if the church is ever going to move forward, I think that we're going to have to become, in this sense, more prophetic for giving people a vision of what the world could look like if we were all running around and acting like Jesus, loving people irresistibly, uh, sacrificially giving to others, helping people just because, not because I'm going to get something out of it, but because it's the right thing to do. And the weird thing is in all this, it seems... Like, I could take these things to, to most people in churches and they would agree with them. But they wouldn't want to do any of them because we know it's right, but we don't want to do it. We need to be like Jesus in the way that we act in nonviolence, in the way that we treat others with a servant heart and attitude, when we act compassionate towards others and we are prophetic towards others because... If we are spending all of our time wrapped up in the fact of saying, Trump, those crazy evangelical asses, oh, that's not us. That's totally not us. But we're going to end up spending so much time defining who we're not. And we're going to waste all of our time not doing the hard work of changing things. Words matter, but so do actions. And for a lot of us that are grappling in this weird space where church doesn't make sense and religion doesn't make sense, but you're still feeling connected to something, you're still wanting more of something. And this whole thing of Jesus kind of makes sense. As he makes, and one thing I will tell you, Jesus continues to make more and more sense the more you step out, <laughs> out of the walls of the church. Uh, I've said this so many times when I preach in different churches, and I don't think anybody ever gets it. I'll get an amen and I'll get a head nod, but nobody gets it, I don't think. Is that there's no way, there's no way 
for you to ever understand the gospel of Jesus by reading it. No way. None. You have to start walking it out. You have to start living it to actually really understand what is the cost? What is it going to cost of us? I mean, do churches today look like their founder was a, uh, was a political martyr who was murdered, who was poor, who died a horrible death? Do, do, we, do, we, do, we, do our churches look like, oh, yes, that, that is, he is our founder. Look at our big lofty halls and cathedrals. <laughs> look at this. Look at all that we have done with our servant, nonviolent, compassionate, prophetic Jesus. No, they don't look anything like Jesus, do they? Mm, because they're not. So my original question, what are we? Well, I think uh, we will be judged by our actions. We will be judged by our deeds, and we will be judged by how we love others. So what's the mission? What's the point? I think those are questions we have to continue to offer ourselves. We need to continue to ask and wrestle through all of this. What matters really at the end of the day? And I think ultimately, embracing these things can lead to a lot more mental health in a time, in a time where it feels crazy right now. Another day, another racist tweet by Trump. Another day, more kids in cages. Another day, this atrocity. And it, it, all it does is it raises our blood pressure, it makes us angry, and it makes us unloving. We can be angry at Trump all we want, as long as it's spurring us towards change, as long as it's spurring us towards making a difference, as long as it's spurring us towards being change agents in the world around us. Because if it's just making us mad, if it's just making us angry, eh, we'll just end up becoming more and more like him. And nobody wants that. Well, nobody probably listening to the show wants that. So thanks for hanging with me with this today. Um, just feeling like I needed to get this off my chest and wrestle through this with you. And I, I want to leave you with this. One of my friends, Adam Palmer, had written this um, and posted this recently. And this is like a call to worship that he had written. In your decadent, irresponsible love, you call the herdsmen to prophesy, gardeners to speak truth to the powerful. You show us heathens who embody you more faithful than the holy. Let us embrace these examples. Let us live as people in exile who see the enemy, the foreign, the stranger, and the alien and run towards them and not away. Rather than see your world as barren and limited, let us see it as it is, full of abundant possibilities and promise, so that we may live faithful, exilic lives that speak a resounding rebuke to the culture full of fear. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Oh God, one of the many things that we learn from the cross is that we win by losing, by laying down our lives for our neighbors, by loving our enemies, by turning the other cheek, by going the extra mile, praying for our persecutors. Let us carry this holy loss into the world. Lives are at stake, but Babylon will not save us. Only you will. So as we end this broadcast, just a reminder that you can catch this episode and other ones on podcasts at www.snarkyfaith.com. And as I said earlier in the hour, I want to be dialoguing and having conversations with you folks. You can reach me at questions at snarkyfaith.com or look up Snarky Faith on Facebook and Twitter. But again, 
Thank you for being part of my mental catharsis as I have made my way through this hour. And I send you off this week with the holiest amount of grace and peace and snark. Go make a difference. I'm out of here. WCOM is listener-supported community radio, and Snarky Faith is only possible through our sponsors. Lumen, a spiritual community of seekers, sojourners, question-askers, doubters, and skeptics, is a collective of fellow travelers that embrace the truth that all of life is sacred, hope is real, and tomorrow can be a better day than today. All are welcome. You can find more information at www.lumencommunities.com.